You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashofSteel.com. This is episode 66, not the last one, which I official, which I got incorrect. Uh, with me today is my regular panel. We have freelance writer Rob Zachney. Hi, everyone. Dr. Bruce Garrick. Hello, gamers. And freelance writer Tom Chick. Before we start, Troy, I just want to say, yep. uh, if anyone needs a coffee... Let me know. I'm glad you asked. That, that's perpendicular to funny. <laughs> <laughs> it is, but we've come to expect it. I'm sure we would miss it if you came on and you didn't say it. We would give you grief for not saying it at all. That's right. And one of these days I'm going to do that and you'll be sorry. Everyone will be sorry. We'll be sorry? Really? That's... that's... <laughs> It, what that is, Bruce, that's less creepy than your Hello Gamers thing. That's what that is. <laughs> no argument there. Uh, today we're going to take another look back at classic game design, and we're going to look at Simtex, uh, one of the great strategy game developers of the early 1990s. Recently, Good Old Games re-released the Simtex classics, Master of Orion 1 and 2, and Master of Magic, uh, for sale. Uh, There will be a link to Good Old Games and where you can buy these at a very good price at the bottom of this podcast on the Flash of Steel uh, post. People ask, I always say, bottom of the podcast, and no one has a clue what that means. It means there's a post about the podcast on flashofsteel.com. There are links uh, at the bottom of that post. Um, So Simtex came along in the early 90s right after – it was one of the – the early 90s was one of the big moments for strategy games on the PC, probably the golden age of strategy games on the PC. Uh, I guess I want to ask uh, Tom and Bruce, since you guys were around when this was happening, uh, Rob was five, so he wasn't. Um, what made Simtech special? What made it different? Why are we devoting time uh, to this? This was Tom's idea. I think it's a great idea to devote an episode to Simtex. Uh, what is it about the Simtex games that stands out? I would argue their unique ability, uh, I say unique, uh, their almost unparalleled ability, and not even Firaxis really has been able to achieve it to a point that Simtext has, uh, to combine personality and gameplay. Firaxis always does great gameplay, but, but Firaxis stuff can be sometimes a little dry. Uh, they're, they're very much in that civilization rut. Uh, and, and, you know, they've done some great stuff with, with pirates, but, I always felt that Simtex did just a fantastic job of taking gameplay that we've seen, mainly in Firaxis games, and giving it personality. Uh, and I don't think since then, I think to even come close to what Fira- uh, Simtex has done, you have to look at a third-party mod like Fall from Heaven. Um, so that, that's that's the niche that I would put Simtex in. This idea of personality meets gameplay, and neither one uh, trammeling over the other. Do you agree with that, Bruce? Well, <clears throat> I'm put in the un- uncomfortable and unfortunate position of needing to agree with Tom, so um, I'm just going to kind of skirt that question altogether and uh, go off and say that um, uh, my actually my favorite Syntex game is a game called 1830. All right. Uh, which is uh, the sort of forgotten Syntex game. I think it's actually the best a railroad one, game, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a railroad. It's a conversion of a, of a old uh, I think Francis Tresham designed 18XX series, but uh, 
they did a great job of uh, converting it to the computer. I mean, and it has great AI, by the way, which is something you can't say about uh, pretty much any of the other uh, Simtex games. But uh, uh, that one aside, since it's a completely different type of game, uh, I guess personality is a way to describe it. I have a I have a kind of odd relationship with uh, the Simtex games because I came in, I bought Master of Orion, uh, the original Master of Orion, on five and a quarter, or no, I guess three and a half inch floppies. Um, when um, when I was walking through an office supply store, and uh, I just saw this box, and it had uh, it had some picture on it of some goofy spaceship, and I was like, ah, that looks interesting. I think I bought that and um, and the original XCOM at the same time. Uh, and it was a while before I think I got to the original XCOM. I, I, maybe memory is fading here, but uh, for a long time I really, really, really liked that game, uh, much more so than any of the other games. And it's been interesting to, to sit down with the with the three of them again, which I did get a chance to do this weekend, and see how my opinion has changed. I have the advantage that I have uh, some the Freedom of Information Act, I was able to obtain some documents which were produced by a certain Tom Chick Uh-oh. on or about the date of October 2nd, 2000, uh, when he was writing a column called A Retro View. And uh, Tom made some very, very interesting comments about, uh, about the game Master of Orion 2. So we'll get to those uh, comments that were made by Tom Chick because... Uh, I think many of them should be uh, should be held up to the light of day, but uh, I think that Tom is in general correct. Um, the games do have a lot of personality, and um, they they have these hooks that uh, I think the um, the only game that I really remember having the same kind of hooks uh, for me was um, uh, Alpha Centauri. I don't think there's any place where things like Mershans and Silicoids and Cylons and, and whatever else. Uh, don't yeah. forget the Bullrathi. Yes, Bullrathi, the freaking bears. And the one nobody ever wants to play. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I mean, those, all those things are, 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 um, are kind of so – they're so vivid for me in a way that basically only the factions in Alpha Centauri. Well, what I wrote a column for a uh, revisionist history column for Computer Games Magazine uh, back in the day about Simtex, uh, which Tom Chick actually edited. I remember getting back his edits on that column, and he he loves the red ink. Um, and in it, I did you, did you footnote his uh, his article PC Retroview in the. Uh, in I did not, but now I didn't. He didn't even he didn't even let me, let me know he did it. I mean, that's not full disclosure at all. I mean, I'm kind of upset about that. Uh, but I made the case that, you know, one of the things about Simtax is they're one of the first strategy developers to get to really popularize and make successful the idea that, okay, for races, biology equals destiny. That you should have cultures that are very different from each other, that play very differently from each other. And I think that's what you see in Alpha Centauri as well, picked up uh, by Firaxis, uh slash Microprose. Uh, the idea that you should give the player the chance to have a very different experience no matter which side they're playing. And before Simtex, that was not the norm in strategy gaming. Uh, 
In strategy gaming, generally, it might be a palette swap, maybe a couple of different units, but the game would play pretty much the same no matter which side you were. Um, Master of Orion and Master of Magic really broke that. Um, and since then, it's very hard to make a strategy game that doesn't have sides played very differently from each other. People expect that now for factions to be dramatically different or have special powers or unique units and it's something that Civ has eventually moved towards even more dramatically they hope in Civ 5 but that's a Simtex design um, I actually want to jump in yeah. Troy and say that I'm not Simtex certainly brought it to computer gaming but didn't isn't Cosmic Encounter that, that sci-fi board game doesn't that go back to the 80s or something uh, and that the whole concept behind cosmic encounter was you have simple mechanics but each race basically breaks the mechanics or something before my did, I did not play cosmic encounter you you may be correct that it, that it did exist in board games but in the computer gaming world it probably didn't uh, certainly not that I can right. recall so I, simtech certainly brought it to computer games but that's an idea that I think had been around for a sure. while uh, and one of the reasons that I think we didn't necessarily see that in more strategy games is and let me float this and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong it seems to me that strategy games had been previously concerned and this is partly because they grew out of war games with a kind of reverence for history and when you have subject matter that's that kind of dry uh, it can be difficult to really break up the the gameplay science fiction affords a whole different luxury for introducing weird, different, distinct mechanics. Like, I think it's much easier to integrate personality and gameplay when you're playing with science fiction or fantasy in a way that Civilization, Age of Empires, uh, and war games, you know, in a way that they can't do. Weren't there, weren't there big fantasy sci-fi strategy games before Master of Orion? There were, but I think of them as, uh, Variations on strategy. Oh, like, sure. I, I mean, but I'm saying, I mean, they, but they existed, and Simtex was the one that actually. I'm not saying that Simtex was an original idea. They invented this, but they brought it and they popularized. They did it so well, you can't look back now and imagine strategy gaming not having that. Uh, I right. well, I'm going to argue with you and say that while it's easy for science fiction games to sort of create these ahistorical um, mechanics or. or, or, or Environments that uh, you know they're, they're sort of not not uh, constrained by you know historical expectations. I think it, they're also very dry, and they tend to be very dry. I, even as much as I like Alpha Centauri, I hated the tech in Alpha Centauri. I mean, it just didn't make any sense to me, and there was nothing I could really, really uh, you know, the weird you know whatever non-linear mathematics or whatever. I mean, I did, that doesn't really tell me anything about what I'm what I'm making. Um, and I think it's hard for that. While the personalities in that game were really good, I think a lot of the the rest of the game, or some of the rest of the game, the, the detect tree specifically, didn't really. Um, it's it's easy to get lost in in this kind of abstraction, and also you can't really build a you know a, a world out of a bunch of you know space and some planets. I think that's that was a problem that uh, uh, galactic civilizations always had. That you just had this kind of like. Uh, barren map, and it, there was really not much to get excited about, or much to really personalize it. So, I think I think science fiction games have their own problems with that kind of thing. And um, Reach for the Stars, like the original Reach for the Stars, the now amazingly almost thirty-year-old Reach for the Stars, um, those kind of games, um, sort of because they were space games, they sort of depended on this very uh, mechanical, mathematical. Uh, computational kind of gameplay where, you know, you had so many of 
X ships and they colonized planet Y and it gave you Z number of whatever credit things. Um, so I think that Civilization is the game that actually sort of broke out of that and, and gave things a personality. I mean, the idea of having cities where you built, um, where you built, uh, you know, improvements and, and things like that is, uh, I mean, we'll talk about it, but Master Magic is basically Civilization with Magic. Yeah. Right. But even Civilization, though, had when it would try even in Civilization Four, I think when it would try to mix up the the mechanics for different nationalities, uh, it falls to me far short of the amount of personality you get in the better science fiction games like Master of Orion or Alpha Centauri. Uh, you know, the fact that the Spanish get cheaper churches or whatever, <laughs> like that, always seemed uh, like. A poor follow that, that always seemed like a poor analog to the fact that something like the silicoids eat rocks. You know that that sort of yes. the way you can mix up the gameplay with that uh, is markedly different. And it's interesting, Bruce, to see over the course of the Civilization series how they kept trying to push that harder and harder. This idea that different nationalities play differently. And I think the one where they finally managed to rival what Master of Orion did in terms of giving each side unique personality was their least historical one and the civilization that they made for console systems and that civilization revolution. Uh, in that, they finally basically threw up their hands at this idea of being at all reverent to history and they just made up crazy stuff about different nationalities and gave it a kind of a board game mechanic in, in a way. I, w- I want to get Rob in here. Rob, are you didn't play the Simtex games when they came out because you were five. Uh, do you want to tell us, have you had a chance to come go back to them uh, once we, since we said we were doing this show? Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> not as much time as, as I had hoped. Um, so looking, but looking but yeah, at them now, what do you see? What did you expect and what did you see? Um, well, I mean, I guess uh, I mean what's what's jumped out at me with what jumped out at me with uh, Master of Orion two is that it, it could just be that it's it's unfamiliar territory for me, but I, you know I don't think so. I think it's it seemed significantly more complicated than I'm used to. Um, I mean, there, in, in complicated in the sense that there are far more far more choices, and those choices have far more import than I'm really used to in most of the strategy games I play, um, and you know, just take one example that really jumped out at me, just the tech tree. Um, there were so many different development tracks that I could pursue from, you know, from the word go. And, you know, it, it, I was not in a situation where it, it necessarily paid to keep doing the low, the, the low tech, uh, the, the low cost techs, um, you know, as they became available. But I had I had to make choices and choose a development track and maybe think about how I wanted to craft my craft my research strategy. And I mean, in all honesty, that's not something I'm used to having to do. Um, I'm not used to having to make difficult choices like that. Um, you know, I, I make myself clear here um, that there's there's going to be consequences for the things I decide to do, um, and other games. It just feels like there's more generic development tracks. That I've come to sort of lean on, and in Master of Ryan, I didn't have them. Um, so I mean, that's that's the first thing that caught me off guard is that there there was complexity that I was not expecting. Um, it was familiar territory. It, was too, it, it looked superficially like a lot of Space Empires type games I played, um, but it really wasn't. 
Now, it's, it's part of the problem, Rob, or, and I say problem, but it was one of the things that took you aback, uh, the fact that you had to make mutually exclusive choices when you were uh, doing tech research, because that's one of the things that these days is pretty bold. Yeah. Not a lot of games are willing to force players to give up something when they opt for something else, because to some players that feels like punishment. Right. So so what part of the learning curve, and I'm thinking specifically of Master of Orion 2, I don't recall a lot of specifics about one, but in Master of Orion 2, you would be presented with two and sometimes three texts to choose from, and once you chose one of them, the other two you would have to say goodbye to. So you are locking yourself into choices that you could break out of by stealing or trading text sometimes. But you were basically having to make a choice about things that would have implications way farther down the road that you couldn't just go back and take a mulligan on or get all three or all two of the texts. Uh, was, was that something that was difficult to adjust to? Uh, no, I mean, that's, that's exactly what was difficult to adjust to. Um, because what, what I'm used to is that in most strategy games I play, you're going to be able to do everything. You know, if it's in the game, it's going to be an option for you, and you're going to get there. You might arrive at it at different times, but it's going it's going to open up for you. And what caught me off guard here is that this game takes a completely different view of development than I'm than I'm accustomed to. It's very much about choice and consequence. And I, I don't know. I find it interesting that so many strategy games, you know, that have come after this, kind of deny that. They take a more almost like more fatalistic view of development that you know the same thing is going to happen to everybody no matter what uh master ryan i was really surprised that that's not the case mm-hmm. uh and i feel that's the strength of the game yeah. that's one of the things i love about it now you can there there are sort of ways around that another great thing about master of ryan 2 that doesn't really reveal itself when you're first learning the game but over the long haul you come to appreciate is how choosing a different race is simultaneously, it's not just going to affect the type of gameplay and how you use your resources and how you develop, uh, but it's also in a way it's going, it's your difficulty level. <laughs> uh, certain races are much easier to play than other races. Uh, and it, it came from a time before multiplayer was such a huge emphasis on game design and therefore all the races, all the choices had to in some way be balanced. Yeah. There was this sense that everything must be equal to everything else and that no choice can have an unfair advantage over other choices. And that's simply not how Master of Orion and certainly Master of Magic play. Uh, Simtex was developing for a very different player base that accepted the fact that if you choose the Cylons and if you choose to be a creative race with a huge tech advantage, you are going to ride roughshod over everyone else. Whereas if you want a different challenge, and in a way, if you want to overcome the weak AI, you know, take that uncreative race where you don't get to choose your texts. They're basically doled out to you kind of randomly. Uh, and it makes for a more difficult, a more challenging, and, and a game that feels very different. Uh, I love that they had the luxury of doing that back then because they weren't so worried about making multiplayer fair for, for everyone. And also it's before the Internet, before you would have a million people complaining about, well, I want to play the Cylons, and therefore they should have everything every other race does because I like Cylons. Um, right. and yeah, but they would be sending feverish uh, letters by U.S. mail. Yeah, or, yes, <laughs> writing Jeff Green an angry letter. Yes. <laughs> So, uh, Rob, when you were oh, go ahead, Bruce. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're you're fine. I, I'll 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 fit this in. Rob, when you when you uh, first started playing, how did you find 
the interface. And I ask because for me, starting the game up, uh, it had been many, many years since I'd played, but starting up specifically Master of Orion 2, it surprised me how easy it was to get around. I think part of it was the fact that I was so familiar with the game that, you know, locked back somewhere in my brain, it's almost like relearning a language you already knew. Uh, locked yeah. back somewhere in my brain, I, I was able to find my way around the interface. I was able to do what I needed to do quickly. I was able to get the information I needed. What was it like coming to such an old interface out of the blue? Was it difficult for you or easy? Um, it was difficult because I really, I, I'm really, I was not aware until this last week um, how much I've come to depend on tooltips. Really, I mean, like, I just expect them to be there as a matter of course now. And so going back to an interface where something, you know, an option would be on the, on the screen or a button would be there, and hovering my cursor over it didn't bring up any advice. You, you know, have like, to right-click. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you exactly. right click <laughs> But, I mean, e- even then, like, I mean, it just, it wasn't, there, there's still a lot of times I was, I was sort of just going on gut instinct. <laughs> um, and just, you know, navigating the interface by feel. And that, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm not used to. Um, but I mean, you know, the first game I, w- the first game I started with was, uh, Master of Magic. And from inter- interface standpoint, I mean, that was like a descent into hell. Um, I mean, just moving the units around was just absolutely excruciating. Um, but, I don't know. I mean, I did, you know, I I did grow up playing games from this era, so it wasn't it wasn't completely less skill to me. But what's changed is that I'm playing. Well, now I'm playing these games um, now, whereas back then I was playing, uh, you know, Crusader No Remorse or something, where the interface is, you know, superficially similar, but your, your options, your choices are are, are not. Um, you know, in those you just shoot the guy, he dies. You don't need to think. You, there's nothing for you to think about in the interface. Here, there's a lot of um, you know, difficult choices, and certainly in what in Master of Magic, the uh, various types of the combinations of what your sorcerer can do, what what, what your uh, mage can do, and then what race you are, um, that was completely something I had to just. It was just experimentation. You know, what's this guy's magic? How's that going to pair up with this race? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, I found that to be a lot of fun. Um, just to load up a new game and discover that, okay, well, it's completely different now because I might have the same mage, but now I'm playing halflings and they've got completely different strengths. Bruce? Um, I, I think that um, as, as far as uh, the different, I mean, are, 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 are strategy games worried about being balanced for multiplayer these days? I mean, other than, other than, uh, you know, stuff Arch on yes, yeah. Xbox. I, I do think like multiplayer is a huge uh, bullet point for a lot of developers. So yeah, that's part yeah, of it. I mean, like I, I wonder, I know that the guys, you know, in Civ Four and certainly in Civ Revolutions, uh, that they really want multiplayer to be a viable feature. They want to be able to push that and build a community around it. So. I guess it depends on the game, but but yeah, I would say that's that's a big deal. To Even us, if so. only a small percentage of the gamers actually play multiplayer, it's important to have that for the very vocal group that do. Uh, yeah, multiplayer dudes are like loud mouths. <laughs> yeah. Send your hate. They're, they're the, the ones the turn, shrieking the on the internet. Games, I mean, does anybody care? I mean, Galactic Civilizations doesn't even have multiplayer. 
It does not, and you. I'm pretty sure Elemental will. I actually don't know for sure, but but I can't imagine Brad will do a a big Brad Wardell at Stardock will do a big turn-based strategy game without having multiplayer in it anymore. Does anyone know for sure? Does Elemental have multiplayer? To my knowledge, it does. Uh, I mean, I'm with you, Bruce. I think it's a it's it's a shame that such a minor, relatively minor feature drives develop, development. Uh, but that was a luxury, by the way, that uh, the galactic civilizations had as well in the way diplomacy worked. You could totally make the other races do completely unfair things by being good at diplomacy. And that would never work in a multiplayer environment. Uh, So yeah, what what makes you what makes you ask? Because you hate multiplayer. No, I mean I, I I just don't. I mean the the whole idea of balancing things for multiplayer. I mean is that I didn't know that that was like such a big deal. Well, I'm, I mean in real time strategy games, sure enough. But these are you know these are turn based strategy games, and I don't know that that was you know was that a really an issue like beforehand. I mean, you see, that's the thing is I don't think it was when Simtex was developing. But anybody now who would be in Simtex's shoes. Namely, a developer making a game for a big publisher. That that multiplayer uh, equality, that that sense of everybody can have every toy. And you're right; it's mainly in real-time strategy games. But I, I think it's also in whoever's doing uh, turn-based games these days. I mean, Elemental, I think, is a classic example. Is there's going to be multiplayer in there? And I don't envy Brad having to put personality into his different races and then also make it fair for for multiplayer. Uh, I, I hate to yeah. keep bringing up Civilization Revolutions because it's really fashionable of us to to sort of poo-poo that game, but I think they did a great job. You know, a, a game built for multiplayer yeah. that has dramatically different sides with uh, gameplay twists that give each side personality, and that I, I think, I, I mean, I, I think, for instance, Portugal is completely unfair in uh, multiplayer Civilization Revolutions, uh, and I love that about the game. Do you want to explain uh, why Portugal is unfair? Uh, one of the one of the huge advantages you get in Civilization Revolutions is being able to sail across uh, basically deep water squares and get to I think they're called artifacts yeah. or like uh, uh, and and Portugal can do that from the get go, whereas everybody else has to reach a very uh, a, a later point in the tech tree. And I think it's Portugal, maybe it's Spain. Uh, it's one of those people on the Iberian Peninsula, but but they can immediately make a beeline and grab all of these great early game, these great resources early in the game before anybody else has a chance. And you know what? I say that, but I would I would wager that anybody who knows the game better than me can probably think of a similar trump for a lot of the races uh, in in Civilization Revolutions. Uh, and I love that it's such a multiplayer bait that they really want it to be multiplayer, and it is a little unfair. So, so Bruce, I hope you're right. I hope that it's not a, con- a big concern for developers doing turn-based strategy games. Um, but I think that's why there is such inequality among the sides in Simtex's games is because it w- that it was before that was an issue. Well, I mean, <clears throat> is it? I'm not really sure. We we can say that. I mean, it's it's about multiplayer balancing. Um, I think it might be spillover from multiplayer strategy games, but it's not necessarily about multiplayer balancing so much as it's like, I feel like having perfectly balanced sides um, has just become sort of a convention, something people expect. And the moment players, I mean, for whatever reason, in the early 90s, players didn't expect this. Now they do. When they load up their game, they expect no matter what race they play, 
They're going to be different in certain ways, but fundamentally they're all going to arrive at the same ability level. And the moment that doesn't happen, whether or not it's being it's a multiplayer game, the moment that doesn't happen, it's a problem. It's identified as a problem. You know, this game is not balanced. These factions aren't balanced. You, you, you've released a broken game. Um, and I, I'm not sure where that where that really comes from, except that players have looked at what developers have done with multiplayer strategy games, and now just think that's how you make a good strategy game. I see it. I see it more as like almost like a mindless adherence to convention these days. Well, part of it too is that uh, like a, a lot of the like I'm thinking of Distant Worlds. I've been playing that lately, and and what they do with their different government forms and their different alien races is they simply add a little numerical modifier, uh, and it's really dry. It, it does not lend the races and the governments any personality whatsoever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if I'm playing the equivalent of the Mechlars, the cybernetic race, whatever they're called in uh, Distant Worlds, you know, I get plus ten production. Big deal. When I'm playing in Master of Orion, they break the gameplay. They break the way food production works. If I play the Mechlar, my dudes don't eat as much food, but they eat a a few little hammers. So when I'm playing the Mechlar, I don't really have to fuss with settling planets that have food production, which is a huge issue for how you develop an empire for any other race. But when I pick the Mechlar in Master of Orion 2, it breaks the game. Uh, and whether you want to call that an issue of balance or personality, I, I just see that that sort of willingness to break a game's paradigms. I, I see that so rarely in, in strategy game design, and I, I wish there was more. I mean, that, that's Wait. kind of evidence of you know Syntax's whole thing of personality. It's if they were looking up, what would be a, what would a cool race be, and then build. Oh, this cool race would do this, and it would do this, and all the personality that comes through uh, in the races instead of well, is this going to be an opponent too hard for the player to play? Well, maybe. Uh, but they'll have some fun losing to the Rock Eaters or whatever. Um, I think that shows a lot of creativity, if not necessarily great, I guess, traditional uh, game design ideas. Um, You can see them sitting around a table thinking of what the cool uh, aliens would look like. Well, can can you guys think of of strategy games since then, though, that that have done that? I mean, I mentioned Civilization Revolutions, which I really liked. and I'm sure there's there's some that I'm simply not thinking of, uh, but I, I, you know, it seems like that was something that we that that was one of the the, yep. the great the terrible things about losing Simtex is we lost a lot. Alpha Centauri does that certainly, um, but it just seems that without Simtex, that wasn't done as often. Well, you can see some of that in Dominions, um, where. No, it takes, really? Can't you can't. Well, you can see some of the idea that the the, the, na- oh, totally. the nations are very different. Some of them are dramatically like overlapped. Like the, yes. the problem with Dominions is it doesn't communicate all the personality really that well, uh, because the interface oh, yeah. because the interface is so difficult uh, to get through. Uh, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that is a good point because I do think of like my first time trying to play those undead Ermor guys, and it's like, whoa, what? How does this work? This is nothing like Dominions. That I was playing before. Uh, oh, in the underwater races. So you know what? I totally accept that, Troy. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you there. So there. All right, well, we, we resolve that. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're playing fast and loose with our definition of personality here and how it relates to gameplay. Um, just because, um, you know, I mean, when I think of like when, when what personality means to me, I think I think of games like Alpha Centauri, 
um, with you know the great flavor text and the sense you get for how this society is developing on this alien world. But I don't think of it in how it affects the gameplay, really. Oh, but it does so much. The, the, the factions play completely differently based on their like uh, their the, the whole the whole government idea. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Keep going. No, no, go ahead. No, no. It's, I mean, it, I think I think it I think it has a has a has a uh, because because the because the uh, government uh, and um, different governments basically are, are what are uh, you know what straitjacket you or, or or enable you to, to develop in that game. Um, I think your ability to change or, or to, to be in certain governments. I think, aren't, aren't there different factions that have a penalty for being being for having certain governments? Yeah. Right. So I mean that. I mean that really. That I mean I think you have to play very differently based on which which faction you're. In. I mean yeah, personality is more than just flavor text. I mean you can really have personality. It's just you know the text and the history and the color. But we're talking about you know how the personality of the factions. Actually, does dramatically change how you play the game. How you because you have to take on in many ways the personality of who you are playing and playing against. You become that nation, and not just some grand uh, god overseeing uh, cookie cutter people uh, molded from clay. I think that's what we mean by personality. And uh, it's it's also important to point out that one one of the great things about these these old Simtex games being available on good old games is that the, this sort of strategy gameplay is not reliant on things like graphics, on tech-dependent stuff. Like, you go back and you play a shooter from back then, and it's going to lose some of its personality because you've seen other uh, other genres express personality in different ways than these strategy hey, games. Are, are, are real-time strategy games, too, the same. You can't go back and play those old real-time strategy games and have the same effect. I, I agree. I mean, I don't know if you're being. I'm not, but I do I'm agree. Not, I think not at all. okay. A, a lot of StarCraft Two, StarCraft One. I mean, suffers mightily. Uh, even though yes. it's that gameplay, it's tough to look at, and the interface really kills it. In a turn-based strategy game, you can sort of deal with a bad interface over time. It's not a huge. The game's not going to run away from you the way that a game of StarCraft runs away from you when you don't have tooltips and you have to look up something in the manual. Uh, so, so that that's something as well that when you play a game like like Bioshock, for instance. Bioshock, at its core, plays like any other shooter, but it gets its personality from the graphics, from the atmosphere, from the sound, um, things like that. Whereas the way that these Simtex games express their personality is through the gameplay, through the fact that my Mechlars don't have to settle food planets. Uh, you know, that's a that's a gameplay personality thing, right. uh, and, and it makes and a, I want to I want to interrupt you, huh? Tom, because Go I'm going to interrupt yep. you with your own with your own uh, ideas. Uh, which you had mentioned in a previous article uh, that I had mentioned already. Will there be a, uh, will there be a link to this article at the bottom of the podcast? I very strongly suspect there will be a link to this article at the bottom of this Excellent. podcast. And I'm going to send Troy uh, a, a URL for it right now. But um, the, the one thing that uh, Master of Ryan 2 does that I didn't really appreciate, or I don't remember appreciating, I'm sure I appreciated at the time, is the leaders. The leaders are fantastic. And that's something that really, I think, uh, sort of uh, appeals to any gamer's love of increasing stats, right? So you look at – it doesn't matter what it looks like. I mean, I, I got some kind of goofy, like, eight-eyed, like, amoeba thing that apparently was good at navigating and shooting weapons. And I can click on a button and make that, you know, assign that to some battleship I have, and all of a sudden I have, like, a better battleship. And – that can be done in you know doesn't matter what it looks like it just the i the 
knowledge that the gamer has that they've just upgraded their battleship with some kind of leader is, I think, uh, sort of a common theme and a um, big improvement on Master of Orion 1 and something that really doesn't lose much in the translation uh, dis- you know, despite the uh, despite the really hideous graphics. I mean, I got to say that um, just over the last couple days when I uh, was playing these games, um, Master of Ryan 1 and 2, $5.99 US on good old games. I download it, works. You don't have to set up DOSBox. It, it integrates it. You just install it and run it. So I highly recommend it. It worked well for me on my system anyway. Um, I couldn't really stop clicking on on Master of Orion 2. Um, I, I could just, you could, as Tom mentioned earlier, how easy it was to just get back into the game, start clicking on things, start wanting to colonize that planet, start thinking about how many more turns it was before I could build another colony ship to get to you know that galaxy because I knew that there was an ultra-rich planet there that I could colonize and start building housing. And, and it's just... Uh, uh, it's something that really doesn't lose much in the fact that it's now, what, 14 years old? Yep. It's a 14-year-old game, and it really plays for, for somebody who's as, I, I want to say, I have to say jaded and sort of... Bitter, uh, angry, uh, tired. Game. Yeah, bitter, angry, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was re- it was really, uh, really quite uh, quite fresh and new, even, uh, even now, um, I remember I played a lot more Master of Ryan 1 than Master of Ryan 2 uh, at the time, and I was just really, really pleasantly surprised by how uh, how uh, easy it was to just get back into Master of Ryan 2. Master of Magic, as Rob had mentioned, uh, is, a, is a little bit more of a catastrophe uh, in terms of interface and just trying to get into things. Uh, it was a great little cutscene, uh, introductory cutscene, though. Oh, my God. Hilarious. Oh, yeah. you got to watch that. It's just the best. So. I, I want to say something about leaders, though. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up, Bruce, because – and I, I hate to keep hitting Distant Worlds because I'm enjoying Distant Worlds on its own terms. Uh, I like what it does, but it's 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 just a – it's hugely instructive to see Distant Worlds and Master of Ryan 2 together and what they do differently. In Distant Worlds, as you're playing, you can get new modifiers for your empire – by incorporating other races. So, for instance, if I'm humans and I incorporate the lizard people who have lower ship maintenance costs, as I build up colonies full of those lizard people, I'll get plus 5 and plus 10 and maybe a plus 15% maintenance cost uh, discount. Uh, so it's a gradual thing that builds up over time, and it works, and it plays to the game's spreadsheet mentality. But but contrast that with the leader stuff that you're talking about, Bruce, where it is a matter of, okay, here's this person, this entity, this creature, and you click on him and you assign him to a colony or you put him in a ship uh, when it's this discrete unit. I mean, it plays much more, too, to this idea of a space opera. You know, I, I think probably Freedom in the Galaxy was doing it before uh, uh, Master of Orion and certainly the way something like Star Wars plays, where in a space opera, a single person can have a huge effect on the fate of the galaxy. I mean, that's such a part of science fiction and fantasy, isn't it? It's that, that one guy has a destiny and he's powerful enough to add, you know, plus 20 percent to a, to a ship's combat ability or something. Right. Uh, and, and, and Master of Orion just plays that up so well with this idea of not just leaders – but the fact that fleets are small and therefore each 
each ship's veterancy matters, and each ship can have, I believe, a name. Uh, like, like the there's so much personality even in the little pieces that make up Master of Orion 2 that you just can't do in a spreadsheet game like like Distant Worlds. Uh, and those leaders are a perfect example. And all of that, by the way, comes into play much more prominently and I think maybe hurts the gameplay a little more in Master of Magic. Uh, and we can talk more about that, Bruce. You well, yeah, let, let's Bruce talk a little about Master And I'm inclined to agree. Let's spend the rest of the time uh, talking about Master of Magic because I think uh, it's part of the game. I, I've written about this before on the blog. I'm not a science fiction guy. I really don't like a lot of science fiction games. But of the Simtex games, I like the Master of Orion games much more than Master of Magic, uh, partly because Master of Magic does seem very civish uh, in very many ways. Um, but also, at the interface, I could never really get it or understand it. I'm not sure I really understood the different types of magic. I think I kind of quit halfway through. Um, so what is it about Master of Magic? What, am, am I broken? Uh because people have been clamoring for a new Master of Magic for years. Uh, what am I missing? Well, I don't know that you're missing much. I mean, I remember, it, it's funny, it, I really, uh, I, I remember Master of Magic much more fondly. I actually went out to the, to, and bought on eBay about ten years ago, uh, an, uh, an original copy, you know, boxed five and a, uh, sorry, three and a half inch floppy copy of Master of Magic, uh, you know, with the original manual and everything. Um, and I probably paid more for it than I should have uh, because of how fondly I remembered that game. Um, one thing I do remember about that game is the fact that it had terrible AI. But one of my favorite games of all time that uh, I'm so jealous that Tom is playing in a play by email game without inviting me is. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Emperor of the Fading Suns, and, uh, uh, you know, that game had terrible, I mean, just catastrophically awful AI, but uh, still, it was one of my favorite games of the, you know, probably ever, and um, Master of Magic, in the same sense, has uh, terrible AI, but even with that, I just remembered it really, really fondly, and after installing it, off of good old games and, you know, launching it. And I kind of remembered how to do stuff. It was just a lot clunkier and a lot uh, sort of obviously um, obviously a clone of civilization with some magic in it. Uh, Much more so than I remember. Maybe you guys can comment more on that. I just felt like Rob was commenting about how difficult it was to move guys, and it kind of was. I just couldn't figure out. Um, I, I had a whole bunch of different uh, – it was very unforgiving of, of mouse clicks, but I'm sure that's something you could get over. Um, but uh, it just seemed sort of unnecessarily uh, complicated and, and, and busy uh, in a way that Master of Orion 2 and the original Master of Orion were not. Uh, I wonder if you guys have any thoughts about that. I'm thinking that part of it is just that we are still so familiar with something like Civilization IV, which we've all played recently, that it's hard to go back to that model of moving armies around on a tile uh, and losing a lot of the the streamlining and a lot of the great interface stuff that we got in Civilization IV. I'm just much more conscious of it when I'm playing Master of Magic than when I've got 
a, 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 a single screen galactic display in Master of Orion 2, which is just so elegant and simple. And you just move the ships in their little jump lines from planet to planet based on your fuel cells. Uh, it, it's hard to go to that tile based army movement when it's more primitive, when we've seen it done so much better more recently. Uh, I think that's part of it. And I also feel that the tactical combat really does kind of bog things down. Well, that's why uh, Meyer never introduced it into civilization. Right. He's a smart man, that Sid Meier. He has a, he never did he has a long career ahead of him. Uh, he argued, people asked him why there wasn't any tactical combat in civilization, and his argument was it would just bog down the game. Yeah, but here's the thing. I mean, I got so, I, I, I mean, the tactical combat in Master of Orion really doesn't, so I'm not sure how that fits. It can, though. It, it can. Yeah. It can. Well, I think Master of Orion 2, I think Master of Orion, I, I, I see where he's coming from. I actually really like, and we're, here we go back to Master of Orion, but uh, I really like the, mas- the tactical combat in Master of Orion versus Master of Orion 2. I thought Master of Orion 2's tactical combat was a little bit, uh, the map was a little bit too big. Um, and there was a little bit too much going on. I really like the almost board game equality that the original Master of Orion had, which, you know, you had, there was so much involved in how you designed your ships and what you did with the tech, because you could do these, you know, very kind of elegant, abstract board gamey deals with, you know, you had the, 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 the paralyzed ship and then the, you know, the beam ship and you could, you could, uh, you know, attack things and then back off and, and, they all based on tech. You know, you could, you could, if you knew what your opponent had, you could basically completely smoke them with far fewer ships, just if you had the right tech. And uh, I think you could do that really well in uh, in Master of Magic. Uh, I think I think Heroes of Might and Magic uh, two and three both do that well, um, where you have you can you can completely destroy somebody else's army. It's much, much larger than yours with just a few certain types of units and a hero that has, uh, you know, specific powers. So I, I don't think it's impossible. I think you can actually do it. But you have to – I think the thing you have to do is you have to allow for a certain amount of abstraction. Uh, or if you want a lot of detail, you have to give up some control. And I think Dominions, the Dominion series, does that really well where you can do all sorts of stuff um, and have incredibly detailed and, and – uh, uh, rich uh, sort of army uh, customization, but then when you actually fight with it, you have to give up control of that, otherwise it would just really bog things down. So I think mm-hmm. there are different ways to solve that problem, and I think Sid Meier uh, should re-examine that uh, possibility since he's such a great game designer. I'm sure he could come up with something that I could only, you know, couldn't even speculate about. Well, well, you can't really, I mean, I, I the, the tactical combat in both Master of Magic and Masters of Orion the tactical combat really is the payoff. I mean, if you're playing and just auto-resolving all the battles, I would argue you are missing a lot of the game design. You know, a lot of that game is in how you develop your, your magic, in, in the case of Master of Magic, and how you build your ships, in the case yes. of Master yeah. of Orion. Uh, so the tactical combat is, is, I don't want to say a necessary evil, because it's not bad, but it's a necessary part of the game design. Even though I agree with what Sid Meier says about pacing, I think it can hurt the game's pacing, I think it's 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 so intrinsic to enjoying Master of Orion that you can't get around it. Uh, it's a necessary part of the game. Uh-huh. Oh no, the tactical combat in Master of Orion is is yeah, I agree. It's it's kind of the point of the game, and uh, I don't you know I don't disagree with that. I think I just think it's a lot. I had I had a much better time with the tactical combat in in, uh, in one than in two, and in two I, it, right. it, 
it can yeah. start to bog down a little bit for me, and and that's where I you know I, I get sort of secondary, I, I get enjoyment from other aspects of of Master of Orion two. Whereas Master of Orion one, that game is so vanilla uh, in its sort of strategic aspect. I mean, you're just moving sliders uh, around. That uh, I think that the tactical combat really is the whole point of the game. But um, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine either one of those games without tactical combat. The Dominion's the Dominion's parallel is great, Bruce. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, just because that's one way to deal with the AI imbalances is make the AI play both sides, but still see the game, see the battle unfold, so you can see these toys that you've built and researched in action. Uh, and I love how Dominions does that without breaking up the pace and, and, and forcing you to play a different kind of game every, every time you, you get into a battle. Uh, so, yeah, so Sid Meier should look at that. Sid Meier played Dominions 3. There you go. We talk about Dominions all the time. No, we don't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, that, not that it's a bad thing. We like Dominions. Dominions is very good. It's like the official board, the official computer game of Three Moves Ahead. Um. So, uh, the Simtex guys, whatever happened to them? They stopped making strategy games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see, the Metroid, uh, wasn't it, uh, Steve Barcia went to Retro. Right. Where did Ken Bird go? I don't, I don't, I don't follow the business side of things very much, but I know that Steve Barcia was on the team making the Metroid games for the, uh, for the Nintendo GameCube for a while. Okay. Uh, you have actually, uh, you answered our question for us, frankly. Troy did or I did? Uh, no, I think you did. And well, this is, I mean, in in your uh, in your article from uh, pretty much ten years ago. But, uh, yeah, you're, you had mentioned that uh, uh, Ken Bird uh, had gone to work on Kinesoft's Mage Lords which was looking to be the spiritual heir to Master of Magic. We all know how that came out. And, wow, uh, yeah. Yeah, so there you go. And as you <laughs> said, Steve Bartzio went to uh, Retro Studios. Which he left, re- I say recently, in the last five years, and I don't know where he is now. Uh, but yeah, so those guys stopped, you know, Simtex, no, those guys aren't doing strategy games anymore. Which is And they were doing a, a superhero game when they were shut down, right? Uh, what was that thing called? I think Agents so. Agents of Justice. Are you talking about the Agents of Agents of uh, Justice? Justice. Justice. Yeah. yeah. yeah could be. Yeah. Well, that's what I wrote. That's that's what I wrote in my revisionist history, and Tom didn't edit that out, so it must have been true. Oh, so it must be correct then. Yeah. Anything that anything that you say that is not directly contradicted by Tom Chick is correct. Yes. <laughs> well, at, at least it's not a lie. Oh, got it. Okay, excellent. Uh. So I mean I just before I I really feel like we haven't given Master of Magic. I mean we, yeah. just, we just sort of went on this love fest of uh, of Master of Orion. Let's talk. I mean can we talk a little bit about Master of Magic yeah. because am, am I am I completely um, am I just coming at this from the completely wrong angle from like fifteen years later? But doesn't Master of Magic really seems like it's like it's civilization with magic? And tactical combat, and I don't. I just don't remember. If you had asked me that, you know, five years ago, I would never have come up with that. I would have said, "Oh yeah, it's this you know forex game with magic, and it's kind of like Civilization, but 
It's got these things that are different, but it just the way you build cities and improve them, and you have the you know uh, magic is just re- research is magic, and food is food, and production right. is production, and and your guys are you know, and, and your tech is is spells. I mean, it, it just seems the, like I, it's yeah. I, the, right. the appeal of it, I think, was this idea that you build your own side, your own wizard. You know, Master Ryan had the little race customization thing where you could build your own. You got a certain number of points and you built your own alien race, whatever. That was a great feature. But this was a much, this was, you couldn't play Master of Magic without building your own race by choosing, uh, I think it's a race and a color of magic, if I'm not mistaken. And you could even, couldn't you make like mixed decks? It was this whole idea of Magic the Gathering. There was like you could five have, colors of magic. Yeah. Like life, death, chaos. And you had like, because I, I just rolled a character this morning, and you have like eleven points to allocate across these categories, and most of the pre-made characters just specialize in like one or two, but you could mix and match and be sort of jack of all trades, um, and so it was, yeah, it was this really tailored experience. And I think that was what was so mind blowing back then uh, was how that really was like building a deck in Magic: The Gathering, and it really was like building your own side, but without having to to pick and choose little different qualities. It, you know, that, that's how you, you had, that's how you made your magic is you put certain points in certain colors of magic and that's what you got for the game. Uh, and that's, that's and part uh, of the problem. Go ahead. Go ahead going, well, I was going to say part of the problem for me is th- that was great to go back and look at, but I, I really liked the way that fall from heaven did it where you pick your, uh, your religion and your faction. Uh, and each one of those choices gave you certain very significant toys or gameplay mechanics. Okay. So when you mixed any two of those together, the, the synergy you got between those mm-hmm. two sides was just so vivid and had so much of that personality we're talking about that's rooted in gameplay mechanics. Uh, so going back and just having to you know put a few points in different colors felt a little over- underwhelming when I when I was trying to get back into Master of Magic. And also, plus, I really wanted to play Master Ryan too. <laughs> sort of like, I would play Master of Magic when I could just go over and make some progress in my Mutu game. <laughs> See, I don't know. I actually, I actually enjoy Master of Magic quite a bit. I mean, like the interface drove me a little crazy. And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but I got to be honest. Like the, the theme, the magic, the tactical <laughs> combat, all that, all that went a long way with me. Um, I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say, yeah, it's just Civ with magic and tactical combat, but when you think about it, that's actually really different from Civ. Um, you know, I, I, one of my favorite games is Heroes of Might and Magic 2, and this is sort of like Heroes of Might and Magic 2 meets Civ, and there's a lot of clunkiness going on there, but I still, I, you know, I still really enjoyed, you know, taking, having a wizard, gathering heroes, putting together like, um, you know, an army of, an army of halflings and sending them around on, you know, quests into monsters, layers and such to gather, you know, gear. I mean, I actually enjoyed doing all that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I'm not sure, I'm not sure the game, I'm not sure the game really holds up, but I got, like, honestly, I found myself enjoying it quite a bit and wishing that there was maybe a modern interpretation of it, like a modern translation, a riff on it. There is. There on its way. Fall from heaven. Yeah, and also no, Elemental. Elemental's on the way, too. No, no, no. Okay, no, no. so yes, Fall from Heaven's excellent, and, I'm looking, and there's going to be a box version of that, apparently, or an adaptation or something. Box version? What do you mean? 
It's going to be a new game. Yeah, the Fall from Heaven guys have apparently got a deal of some sort. Excellent. So, which I think is great because really the, it is the uh, Civ Four mod. Um, but yes, that is that is the game. So, uh, any final words on this before I go off and watch the Lost Finale? Well, one of one of the things that uh, that people have said to me, uh, and it's been about Emperor of the Fading Suns, which Bruce mentioned, and it, it absolutely applies to Master of Magic as well. Uh, it's less of an issue with Master of Ryan Two, which I think is a more elegant design. But but when you've got these these epic games that that are hobbled by bad AI. Um, a way to think of them, and this totally works if you think of it this way. I have a hard time getting my head around this sometimes. But if you approach them as RPGs, as less about competitive uh, strategy games where you're playing against other players, and think of them more as worlds where you're building up a super powerful character and clearing out the world, uh, I think that goes a long way to salvaging a game like Master of Magic and also Emperor of the Fading Suns from the fact that the computer is just really brain dead and doesn't understand the systems. Uh, and with that approach, I was able to to not hate Master of Magic quite as much as I normally would have when I was rediscovering it. Cool. That makes sense to me. And that's how I generally play strategy games. Um, I pretend everyone's stupider than I am. This generally works. Well, the fact is also they're, they're already, I mean, you can approach those as RPGs, yeah. But the problem there is that there are already RPGs you could be playing instead if you wanted to play an RPG. Uh, like but it's sort of like, uh, the, the, you know what? You can totally approach Dominions that way. Absolutely. Uh, there are better games that you can play uh, as an RPG that are strategy games like Dominions. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there will be a link to the good old games store uh, at the bottom of the podcast post on flashofsteel.com. Uh, you can get both the moves for uh, was it ten bucks? No, the both the moves come as a set. Yeah. Five ninety nine. Uh, yeah, five for both, oh. and the Master of Magic is five ninety nine on its own. So for twelve bucks, you can get three games. Uh, they work perfectly on XP and Windows 7 with no uh, need to mess around. Good Old Games is a great service, uh, one of my favorites uh, for doing research on old design ideas. Uh, so please check it out, and if you're interested in these games, please play them, and then come back and fill the comment box uh, with your reflections. If you have any suggestions for future uh, classic design analysis episodes, I'd like to do one of these once a month. I think they're a lot of fun. Please fill the comment box or send me an email at troy.goodfellow at gmail.com or a comment on my Formspring, uh, which you can just do a find, which just do a search on formspring.me. Uh, thanks for the show, guys. Say goodnight. Good night. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> That's very faint, Bruce. Um- Pump up the volume. Yeah. <laughs> what? I could barely hear that. <laughs> Crank it. Oh,